North Shore Vineyard Church audio podcast. I'm Crispin Schroeder. Today on the podcast, we have part three in our series on the book of Genesis. This one's called The Creative Power of Words. We look at how God creates using words, and also how we as people created in the image of God have power in our words as well. This coming Sunday, we have a special guest for Easter, Jonathan Martin, uh, author and speaker, uh, is going to be joining us. I'm really looking forward to that, and he's going to be hanging around for that following Tuesday to do a live taping of his podcast on that Tuesday night, so you can come out for that. This Friday, we have our Mediterranean potluck for Good Friday, so join us for that as well. For now, let's head to the talk, North Shore Vineyard, downtown Covington. ago we started a series on the book of Genesis and uh, last week I did a recap which was half the message of the previous week. Uh, I'm going to do a much shorter recap right now but if you weren't here the last two weeks please go listen to the podcast because uh, the, the things that we're establishing in this first part are going to be central themes to the book of Genesis and the whole Bible. And so on week one I made the point that Genesis 1, oftentimes we read it wrong. You know, the, one of the dominant ways of reading Genesis 1 in modern Christianity is that it's a story about the material creation of the universe and how long ago it was created. It's not about that at all. That's what you would call the house story, you know, how the house was built. Genesis 1 is a home story. God is making a dwelling place for himself in his creation. Uh, and there's a few a few ways that we can kind of discern this. Number one, before there's any days of creation, it says the earth was formless and void and the, and the spirit hovered above the waters. So before God creates anything, there's already something there. So what God's really doing, does that mean that God didn't create the other stuff? No, he did. It's just Genesis 1 isn't about that. It's not answering that question because nobody in the ancient Near East ever had those questions. They didn't have science. They didn't they assumed if anything existed, it's because the gods created it. That's an assumption. But what we see in Genesis 1 is a home story. God is building a house, and then he's moving into it. So, so another clue is the seven days. Seven days is a, a period of time for a temple dedication. We see that in, in Solomon's temple. On the seventh day of the, the temple dedication, Solomon prays a prayer to heaven, and then God answers by consuming the sacrifice with fire and then filling the temple with the cloud of his presence. God moves into the temple on the seventh day. Um, even in other ancient Near, Near East cultures, they would have a seven-day temple dedication on the seventh day, you move the idol in, and you, now it's, it's a home for your deity. On the seventh day of creation, it says God rested from the works of creating. And God, that doesn't mean that God's just like taking a break. It's like he's moving into his home now. And so that's one of the central themes of the whole Bible is that God is looking for a dwelling place with humanity, and we miss it. One of the most central points, because we're arguing over how old the earth is or whatever, uh, trying to get the, this, this passage to, to harmonize with modern science, and it, it's, it's, that's just not a good way to look at it. So that's, that was week one. Week two talked about what does it mean that human beings are created in the image of God? Well, it means that we humans have a a special capacity and a vocation to reveal the creator to creation. Unlike any other animals, we have a special ability to do that. 
And so we are, you know, in God's temple, if we, look at, if we think of the Garden of Eden as the holy of holies of God's temple, um, we are the only image of God allowed in that temple. You know, the first two commandments of the Ten Commandments are, you shall have no other God before God, and you shall not make an idol of any created thing. And the thing that I said last week that set apart the, the Jewish temple from all the other temples that have existed throughout humanity, even to this day, is if you were from outside of Jerusalem and you came to the temple, you'd walk in there and you go, this is a beautiful place. Where is the God? The only image of God that is allowed in God's temple, though, is the image that God created. So if we look at Genesis, we understand that God made the temple, number one, and God made the image that will go in the temple. Not that we should worship that image, but that that image would actually be a reflection of God's rule and reign. And so we, created in the image of God, have a vocation to steward the earth, to take care of creation, to to move the the project of humanity into flourishing under God's rule and and to take care of creation the way God wants us to. And so we do this in our jobs and our families and by creating things and building things and all that stuff. So that was last week. So we spent two weeks in in the first chapter of Genesis, and today we're going to look again at the first chapter of Genesis because there's so much good stuff in there. But I want to look at another aspect of this, and maybe uh, in a couple of weeks we'll we'll move on to Genesis chapter 2. So the first question is, if Genesis 1 is about God bringing order out of chaos, making a dwelling place for himself. How does God do this? And Genesis tells us. There's this refrain you see, verse after verse in Genesis 1. And God said, the first time we encountered it is the the first day of creation. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And then on the next day, and God said this, and then the next day, and then God said this, and then the next day, and God said this. God creates by speaking. This is an interesting thing, and there's a lot of stuff we're going to unpack from this. But when you get to the New Testament, the Gospel of John actually starts with a very similar passage. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. John lets us in on a little secret. That word being spoken in the beginning that brings order out of chaos. It's a person. And that person is Jesus. Jesus is the one who brings order out of the dark, murky waters of chaos. He brings functionality. He brings systems of life so that God can dwell with us. And Jesus does this for us too, right? When I came to Christ at 20 years old, I was sitting on my couch in my living room drunk, depressed, ready to commit suicide or just run away. And I said, God, I don't know why you'd want me, but if you will take me, I am yours. And I began to follow Jesus. 
And bit by bit, for the last 25 years, God has been bringing order out of the chaos of my life. He's been, been bringing meaning and substance in, in life. He's been putting things right. That's what Jesus does. It's interesting, though. The, the, the word that John uses to translate word is actually a big word, a really big word in ancient Greek. The, the word is called logos. What does logos mean? Logos is the root word of logic. Logos is the principle of divine reason, creative order, and knowledge. The creative and sustaining word of God that brings order out of chaos. See, for the Greeks, this, this idea of logos, it, it, it meant word, but it was a lot bigger than word because it, it, it didn't just mean like a word spoken. It meant the very logic that holds the whole universe together. That's Jesus. In the beginning was the Logos, and the Logos was with God, and the Logos was God, and there's nothing that was created apart from Him. If it exists, it is held together by this Logos, and this Logos has a name, Jesus. So one of the chief functions of, of, of the ministry of Christ is bringing order out of chaos. And it's interesting because in, 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 both, in, in, the, in the Gospel of John, John ties this in with, with light. The, 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 the relationship between light and word are, are right next to each other. This is very similar to even in the Psalms where it says, Your word is a, a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And it's very similar to the first day of creation where it says, God said, let there be light. And there was light because the word, the word and light both function in the same kind of way. You know, my, you can ask my wife, my, my typical uh, ritual at night is about 9, 9.30. I'll go sit out on my back porch and I'll listen to an audio book in the dark because I like looking up at the stars and the occasional fireflies and stuff. And, and that, I, that's, that's like my little peaceful moment <laughs> at the end of the day. But I bring a flashlight out there because there's a lot of critters in my backyard. And I hear something stirring on the side, and I shine a light at it. And this thing that has, has been invisible to me up to that point is now made manifest. I see it. It exists now in my perception because of light. And that's what light does. Light brings reality uh, to our awareness. It makes things real. But so does words. That's what we're going to look at. Um, in preparing for, for the book of Genesis, I've actually been reading a lot of other ancient Near East creation stories. And, and, and one of the oldest that has ever been discovered, probably the oldest one that's ever been discovered, was the Enuma Lish from the um, Sumerians. And it's, it's an interesting story because you know how it starts? Before anything is created, everything is a watery, dark chaos. And, and the opening nine of the Enuma Elish is this. At a time when the glories above had yet to be named. And when you read through the first tablet of the Enuma Elish, you keep seeing this same thing over and over. Before such and such was named, or this was named, or uh, uh, the, the great warrior, who, who Marduk, who, uh, who wins the battle, he has the right to name things. Because naming actually makes things exist. And we see this in Genesis chapter 2 with Adam. We will get to Genesis 2 today, a little bit. 
Genesis 2.19 says, Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky, and he brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever man called each living creature, that was its name. So when the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and the wild animals. Bob Dylan had a song about that. Y'all remember that one? About 1978? Anybody? Man gave name to all the animals. In the beginning, no, no takers, long time ago, David's with me, right on, dude, right on, okay, (laughs) Floyd's with me, yeah. This is an interesting thing, though, when when we look at human beings are created in the image of God and have actually, uh, are, are ruling on God's behalf and have some measure of God's presence to actually act in God kind of ways, not being God ourselves, but we have the capacity to rule in the ways that God does. And what's the first thing that Adam is asked to do? Name some animals. So the animals come by and, and Adam looks at it, is this thing, I'm going to call this a giraffe. I'm going to call this an elephant, whatever. But what's happening here is that, that it's, it's actually calling things into existence. It's, it's another one of those things of bringing order out of chaos with a word. Adam is looking at the creation, and he's speaking. He's naming them. He's recognizing them. And what, what is happening there is they are, they, he's calling them into existence. Did they exist before? Yes. But did they exist to Adam? No. <laughs> he's actually organizing the world by using his words, because that's what words do. When we name something or put words to something, it becomes real in a way that it hadn't ever been before. That's why we like songs. Have you ever heard a song and you're going like, yes, that song is saying what I'm feeling. It's putting words to this thing in my heart. And, and, and you could just listen to a song and every time you hear that song, it just, oh, it resonates. Because why? Because it is putting words to something underneath the surface that you've been feeling but you weren't able to articulate. And once some words come along, that thing becomes real to you in a way that it hadn't been before. That's the power of words. I read a fascinating book a few years ago. This, this author was not a Christian author, so if you go read the book, you know, he's not a big fan of religion. But he had some good things to say. Uh, this guy was uh, Yuval Harari. He's a, an Israeli historian who wrote a, his first book was called Sapiens, A History of Human Beings. And then the, the second book was called Homo Deus. He was kind of looking at where humanity may be going in the future. It was a, kind of a bleak picture, by the way. But he did say, say one thing that I thought was really interesting. He said, the thing that separates humanity from other animals is our ability to create fiction and to live by that fiction. What did he mean? Well, if you look at ants, you ever been out to a park and you see like a, I don't know, a piece of fried chicken on the ground? <laughs> and, if, and if it wasn't covered in ants, you might have picked it up, but no. <laughs> But it's, ama- it's an amazing thing when you th- see like a little piece of food on the, on, the, on the ground and ants find it. Man, those ants, they, they make quick work of it. Like they jump into to order, man, and they're processing that thing, breaking it down, assembly line, bringing it back to their home, and, and everybody eats. Ants can work together better than humans. But they only got like one thing they can do. And it's like, let's get in an assembly line and do that. So that, that, that one tool in their wheelhouse only works for certain kinds of problems. So ants can't really, you know, go very much beyond their regular existence. You can look at higher mammals like, like dolphins. Dolphins 
you know, some biologists actually think dolphins are as smart as human beings. They got a brain the side of human beings. You want to look at some weird stuff and look at dolphin theories on YouTube, man. Some people think they're aliens, man. <laughs> I think if dolphins have brains the same as human beings, they're just the hippies of planet Earth, man. They're just like, dude, why do you humans like fight and stuff? Just swim around and eat fish, dude. It's cool. <laughs> but dolphins can work together. Elephants, but again, they're limited in what they can do. But human beings, we can create fictions. And the basic building blocks of these fictions are words. What do I mean by this? Well, think of all the things that we do in life that aren't really real, and we treat them as if they're real. Like money. I mean, there was a time in this world where money actually was real. (laughs) There was a time where money was actually like gold coins or silver coins, and you like had like, like this is worth, it has intrinsic value. And then, you know, at one point in this country, we went to, a, a, you know, paper currency, and it's backed by gold. So you could take your pile of money down to the bank and say, I want my gold, and they'd give you some gold. But then we got off the gold standard, and, and now it's just paper. And what, what, what makes the difference between this one paper that says 100 and this one paper that says 5? We say it matters. We're the ones. And nowadays, I suspect many of you, if you get a regular paycheck, a salary paycheck, you probably haven't even seen a piece of paper in years. It just gets direct deposited in your account, and you open up your little banking browser, and you see that there's some credits in there, and you move these credits over to your electric bill, and these to your mortgage, and these to your insurance, and all that. We, we, does any of it exist? I don't know, but I'm telling you, if, if I offered you like a real chair today to take home or one of these pieces of paper that said 100, you'd be stupid to take the chair, right? <laughs> money means something because we've created this fiction where we say money means something. We all agree that it means something. And as long as we agree, everything's good, Right? Bitcoin, yeah. I, 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 what is real anymore? I just we're living in the matrix. Uh, <laughs> um, but we can look at other fictions that human beings create, like laws. I mean, do laws actually exist? Do national boundaries actually exist? They exist because we say they exist, and because we say they exist as human beings, we're able to do things that ants can't do. We're able to do things that dolphins can't do. We're able to actually organize and structure and create science and art and technology and books and all kinds of things with words. The creative power of words and language in human culture has has caused the birth of civilizations. We have the power in our collective speech and our speech with one another. We have power to, to get things done with just our mere words. When we can put words to ideas and understand, we understand them much better than before. Have any of you ever taught a class before or taught on your job or something? How many of you, when you were teaching, you learned a lot more about what you were teaching than had you just been listening to it, right? If you want to learn something, the best way to learn something is learn it in a way that you can teach it. Why is that? Because you're not just taking words in, you're taking words in and figuring out how to say them back again. <laughs> you know, if you look at my, my notes up here, typically 
I'm reading the same notes as you. I got a few more notes this morning. But one of the reasons for that is I, I, I have a conviction myself that if I'm going to speak on something, I want to get it to where I can, I can speak on it without looking at a page. <laughs> because what that tells me is I've internalized it. I, I, I understand it more than if I was having to read the page. I mean, that's nothing, there's no problem with reading pages. But I just know that if I can actually talk about something without looking at a page, that means I've understood it a different way. Because we put words to these things. We learn it. And so, there are some in our world today that recognize the power of words, and they've, they've made entire movements out of this. There's, there's some in Christianity, there's some in New Age. I, I've, I've seen, you know, I remember years ago, there's this book called The Secret, you know, and, and I didn't read it, I, I watched a little bit of the documentary, and The Secret is like, you know, basically tell the universe what you want, and then speak it into existence, and all this stuff. Which, ironically, is not that different from word of faith or prosperity gospel because it's just, it's just you know, replacing God with the universe. But, but they both have the same principle. And it's just that if you want something, then you got to speak it. you got to speak it into existence. And, and as you do this, the, it, it will be manifested by God or the universe or whatever, and it, it will become real. And, and I'm, I'm not discounting that there's, I, I think there is some truth to that. I really do. But I don't think that's the Jesus way to go about it. Because here's the deal. You can get your mouth to say things of your will and of your want. But the real test is, what does your mouth do when somebody cuts you off in New Orleans on the I-10? Or when some unexpected thing happens on your job that you had not factored for? Or there's less money in the account than that check you just wrote and you didn't realize it. And you're going to realize it in a few days. What does your mouth say then when you're not choosing by your will to say something? Well, Jesus had something to say about that. He says, no good tree bears bad, forth, bears bad fruit, nor again does any bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. Figs are not gathered from thorns, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces what is good, and the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. See, we don't need to change our vocabulary. Jesus is saying, change your heart first. Change your heart and your vocabulary is going to follow. But when you get a fight with your spouse, and all of a sudden something comes up from the watery depths of chaos within, and you say the worst horribly offensive thing to this person that you should love and cherish... And then you find yourself going, oh, I didn't mean that. No, you did mean that. You meant it exactly the way you said it. You're just surprised that you had that in you. Getting quiet in here. No, it's those words that come out of our mouth when we're not expecting it that really reveal what's in our heart. And sometimes it's good. But those things that kind of catch us unaware going like, oh, my goodness, did I just say that? Yeah, you did. Why? Because that's in there. That's in there at some level. We need a change in our hearts. And when we experience a change within, when God starts bringing order to the chaos within us, to the watery, formless void within us, 
And guess what? That'll start affecting your speech. That'll start affecting things that you say. Because here's the deal. You know, I'm, I'm, I believe there's something to speaking things into existence. You can do that all day. But I've seen a lot of people, both in New Age and in Prosperity Gospel, who are emotionally stunted. They may get the things that they want, but they've had no transformation within. And the, the bad thing about that is your life can descend into hell that way. You can get exactly what you want, but you haven't experienced transformation. And that thing you wanted was not what you needed, and it'll ruin your life. We get transformation by applying words to the chaos within. This is why people go to psychologists and therapists and 12-step groups. Why? What happens if you go to a therapist? If they're a good therapist or a psychologist, you'll lay down on the couch. And what do they do? They ask you some questions. If you're going to a, a, a therapist that's just telling you what to do the whole time, that's not, that's not going to be helpful. <laughs> Kind of the, the, one of the rules of psychotherapy is let the guy talk. Because as you talk, you begin to discover stuff, right? You ever, you ever found that happening? Like, I think that's why we like to talk a lot. <laughs> it's, it's in opening your mouth, maybe having somebody lead you through some questions. It's as you begin to put words to the things that are going on beneath the surface that, you act, that they actually begin to exist to you in a way that they didn't before. Before, it was just a formless chaos that was sabotaging your relationships and your jobs and this, it just, this thing that would rear its head once in a while and you don't know what it is and you're scared of it and just, let's la 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 la, let's ignore it. When you sit down with a therapist and you start naming these things, this is what it was like when I was seven years old and this event happened to me. This is what it felt like. This is what I thought. And this is how I acted moving out of that Guess what? You are, you are bringing something into existence with your words. You're clarifying it. You're naming it. And now that it exists to you, you can deal with it or not. That's why we do these things. And I get why people don't want to do that. It's the same reason we don't want to go to the dentist, right? It's... it's a drag. It's, I mean, even in Financial Peace University, people who were learning how to do uh, a budget for the first time. I remember the first time we looked at doing a budget, I'm like, I don't want to see how I'm spending my money. <laughs> I'd rather not know. I'd rather that just be formless chaos. Because <laughs> when I actually see like, oh my goodness, is it possible to spend $800 a month on fast food <laughs> or whatever? It's, it's, it's scary. But you don't move on. You don't get transformation until you start using your words. And this is why I think that the secret and prosperity gospel, I think there's truth to them, but I don't think it's the truth that's ultimately the, the best help for the human soul. We need to use our words to identify the things within, to speak to those, to put our own lives in order. James 1 has some things to say. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. James is starting off by, okay, I know a lot of times you look at the world 
and you just want to tell everybody what you're thinking. And you want to, you see people acting a certain, you want to let them have it. You want to, you, James is saying, how about we stop speaking for a little bit and listen? <laughs> Pay attention to another word, the word, the logos of God, the, the teachings of Jesus. Let those things speak to us and let us bring those in so that we can get rid of, of evil and moral filth in our lives. Because that can save us. The word of God planted in us can save us. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect log that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they've heard but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. The religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the word. See, I find in my own life, but I see this quite often in others as well, We have this simmering chaos beneath the surface of our life that we've never named, we've never contended with, we've never got words to to describe what's going on. And so we have kind of a simmering shame or resentment or anger, bitterness at life, at the world. And we're miserable. And so what do we do? We take to Twitter, we take to Facebook, we take to, to... And we express these caustic things to others because we're so miserable with our own self. The chaos within. But James is saying, how about instead of being so quick to speak, we we stop speaking. We listen a little bit. How about we actually look at the word? Because it's like looking in a mirror. When we look at the words of Christ, when we look at Jesus, we are actually seeing a reflection of what God intends us to be. God is calling us to, to, to live out in his image, to bear his resemblance. But it does no good if we look in the mirror and then we go, oh, that's beautiful. I like that. And then we walk away. No, we, we seek to, to live out these things. And once you do that, once you start getting your own house in order, once you've let the logos transform the chaos of your life and you want to change the world, then James says, Starts with widow, start with widows and orphans. <laughs> We love to protest in this country. And I'm not against, I mean, protest. I'm, I, it's, it's cool. You know, 800,000 kids protesting. That's pretty cool for high school students. Uh, it's, 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 it's a neat thing to see all the women who uh, are, are coming out and the Me Too thing and, and, and really, you know, prophetically calling out, you know, the systems in, in which, you know, uh, s- sexual harassment have just been tolerated in different industries around this country. There's a reckoning happening. But I will say this about protest. It's a lot easier to protest something than to set your own house in order. It's a lot easier to look at the, at the speck in someone else's eye than to deal with the log in your own eye. It's a lot easier. Protestants, at least in America right now, it's, it, it, it's, 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 it's easier than doing that. If we are really interested in making the world a better place, We ought to start first with ourselves, lest we end up getting the world we want. 
and lacking the substance of character to actually steward it rightly. You know, if you look at a history of revolutions in the last 200 years, you're going to find out that most of the time, the people who lead the revolutions become twice the tyrant of the people that they overthrow. Because they didn't deal with the chaos inside. They didn't have a revolution within. That's where I love, you know, my, my favorite Gandhi quote. Not like I got a lot of quotes from Gandhi. <laughs> the only one I know. <laughs> Be the change you want to see in the world. You be the change. Or as Michael Jackson said it, I'm starting with the man in the mirror. I'm asking him to change his ways. Come on. (laughs) We experience transformation as we submit to the word, the logos, as we follow the logos, and as we use our own words to speak to the chaos within. Then, as we experience the logos bringing order within, we can then begin to extend that realm of peace to other areas of our lives, our families, our jobs, our neighborhoods. Then, after that process, we might actually have something to offer to the world around us. See, this is one of the, one of, one of the things I learned as a, as a new Christian in, in evangelical, Christ, charismatic forms of Christianity. There, there was often this rush, like, uh, I did a lot of youth ministries, and, and I was at a lot of these youth things where it's like, you are a chosen generation. You're going to be the ones that overthrow. And, and, and everybody's, Yeah! And I've even seen in the vineyard that, that there's often, we're, we're trying to seize on the zeal of youth because young people will do all kinds of crazy things, you know? And you tell them, you're the ones. It's all resting on your shoulders. God's going to do this thing with you. Just go out there and do it. Yay! And they run out of the building and, and they just storm in the great gates of hell. <laughs> I think it was in the book of maybe First Timothy, maybe Second Timothy. Paul said, don't put someone young in the faith in a place of leadership lest you, you, you put them under condemnation. Because getting excited about tearing down things and revolution, like, that's easy. And we're easily manipulated into that stuff, particularly when we're young. Doing the hard work of setting your own house straight, that's drudgery. That's no fun. But it gets to be fun. Going back to financial peace, I remember Dina and I, when we first did that years ago, we were trying to get out of credit card debt. We had a lot of credit card debt, and it was a drag the first six months because this money, we would like to spend it on eating out, and we're spending it on Sally Mae and Chase and all these things, and it was a drag until we got about six or eight months down the road, and we're like, we could do this. We could actually pay this off. And then when we paid that first credit card out, it was like, hot dog. We're, we're, we're bringing order into chaos. We're, we're actually getting a plan here. We're starting to feel the results of our sacrifices. It's starting to give us some momentum. And that momentum got us through the next credit card and the next one. And after a while, we're, we're out of debt. Most of it. <laughs> we're going to close today by taking communion together.
And I want to invite the band back up. We're going to go do one worship song again. Um, as we do worship, as we come to the table today, let's remember that this Jesus, who was the Word made flesh, the Logos made flesh, the unifying principle that holds the whole universe was made flesh and dwelt among us. And it is, it is His broken body that puts things back right the way they are. It is His shed blood that opens up a new day for new life within us. As we come to this table today, let's receive Jesus, the Logos, the Word, into our bodies. Let's be people who are committed to, to use our words to bring life, to bring truth, to bring light, both within us and within the small realm that we're about. You can come forward at whenever you want. This is an open table. We take the bread representing the body of Christ. We dip it in the cup representing the blood of Christ. So just feel free to come up in the next song. Okay.